All right, so this year, we're gonna be looking at the subject of sanctuary. And this is the idea behind sanctuary. The Bible is littered with the word sanctuary from the Old Testament to the New Testament, and it has multiple connotations. One of the ideas behind sanctuary that we're going to look at, one big meta theme throughout the entire year, is that when you have received sanctuary, you then become sanctuary for those people around you. In other words, when you've received the protection of God, when you've received the blessing of God, when you've received, if you will, the, the, the provision of God, then you become that same kind of blessing to the people around you. And we're going to look at that a little bit today in our text as we talk a little bit about sanctuary. So if you have your Bibles, open to 1 Peter chapter 2, otherwise it'll be on the screen. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 10 will be our text today. This is what it says. I'm going to read the whole thing, and then we'll come back and watch through or walk through each one of these verses. Verse 4, as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. You also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. Now to you who believe, this stone is precious, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected have become the cornerstone and a stone that causes people to stumble, and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Verse 10. Verse 10, summarize. Go back to verse 10. Verse 10 summarizes for us exactly kind of where we've been through this whole passage, right? At the end of this, he says once. He's talking to Christians now. He's saying once you were not a people. The Bible describes a person apart from God as an orphan without a family. Now, you may have a biological family, but a spiritual family is what Peter's talking about in this situation. He's saying, once you were not a people, you were an orphan, but now you are the people, you have God, you have the Father. Once you had not received mercy, in other words, you were walking in your own righteousness and would be judged according to your own deeds, but now, because you're connected to the Father, you have mercy, and mercy is that you're getting what you do not deserve. It is a blessing upon your life, but now you have received mercy. Once you didn't have it. Let's run back through these verses. Verse four starts like this. It says, as you come in, or rather, as you come to him, the living stone rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him. So a couple of things I want you to see in this passage. Um, first of all, we have to come to him. It's important. And I, and I know that not everybody in the room right now is a Christian. And so just for a second to talk to you, the reason why you've been invited here maybe, or the reason why we want you to be here, let's just talk about it like that. The reason why we want you here is because we want you to come to him. We want you to come to him because we want you to have the blessing of having a relationship with God who said, I will never leave you and I will never forsake you, right? He, and so as you come to him, that's Jesus. Jesus is the living stone. We're gonna talk about the imagery that he uses in a minute. The living stone, and this is the summary of what Jesus's life was for uh, here. Rejected by human beings, but chosen by God and precious to him. I love the way that uh, Peter talks about the preciousness of Jesus to the Father. I think on some level, we could think of God the Father as being this distant, this, this distant fatherly type or, or maybe even absentee dad. 
who basically sends Jesus into the world to die for us and yet didn't have any affection towards him. But what we see is Peter's exactly right, that he is precious to the father. That if I were to ask you and say, hey, for this group of people, would you send your son? Would you send your daughter to die for them? I think most of us would say, no, absolutely not. I'm not gonna do that. Why? Because our children are precious to us. And so when the father sends Jesus into the world, just sending him into the world was a sacrifice. Just sending him into the world was the father giving up something in order to help us so that we would have life. So he calls Jesus the living stone. What he wants, to, he wants us to know is that there's something about Jesus that's different than some historical figure. Like, I hope that we can all agree that George Washington and Abraham, uh, 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 Lincoln, dang, what happened right there? I was like, what is Abraham's last name? Lincoln. Uh, I hope that we can agree that uh, this, these were historical figures. And I think we can look back and we can go, yeah, they did some great stuff for us. We're still receiving some benefit from those things that they did, but we don't place our trust in them, right? They're not, they're not precious to us. But when the father looks at Jesus, he sees that there is a preciousness to him. There's a treasure to him. And so the father gives up in sacrifices. He does so because Jesus is the living stone. And the imagery that's used here in verse one, this is the third of three images that he gives us in chapter two. But in, in chapter one, he calls Jesus a living hope, a living word. And now we're looking at the phrase, a living stone. And stones are great. Um, I have a, they're, they're powerful, they're strong, they're able. Uh, part of my family has, the rich part of my family has a house up in North Carolina on Lake Nantahala. And it's this beautiful, like 5,000 square foot, three-story. We go there, I take a bunch of guys every year. We take like 100 guys to go up to Nantahala. And it's, it's an amazing time. And you can join us too if you want. But uh, maybe. Uh, but, uh, but, but we kind of go, we go up there and, and there is this, it's this beautiful log cabin kind of thing. And it's gorgeous. It's amazing. Big, beautiful water views. It's amazing. But they have this beautiful stone fireplace. It's like floor to ceiling. And it's incredible. I mean, it's beautiful. And I can tell you right now, the strongest part of that entire building is that fireplace. The entire place could burn down, but one thing would remain, and that is the stones. Why? Because stones are strong. Because from 2,000 years ago, they knew that stones were strong, that when you're gonna build something, and we learned this from the great parable of the three pigs, that you don't build with straw, because it doesn't take much to destroy it, but if you build with stone, it doesn't matter what comes against it because it will endure. It will endure. And so Peter wants us first to know that Jesus is alive. He's not dead like George Washington and Abraham Lincoln. He is still alive and sits at the right hand of the Father right now. And he is a strength, a stone for us, but it was rejected by us. And this has always been the problem for us. We always find ourselves, even if we're followers of Jesus, we find ourselves rejecting, rejecting, rejecting because we don't want to walk his way all the time. But God chose him and he was precious to him. Stones are an amazing foundation to build a life upon. Verse five says it like this. He transitions the camera angle now from God to us. And he says this in verse five, you also believers, you believers, that's the you, you believers are like living stones and you're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So there's imagery in here that we want to pull out that would have made a lot of sense to somebody in the first century, but to us doesn't make a whole lot of sense. But, but Peter is also using imagery here throughout this whole uh, passage that's construction-based. And we'll talk about that in a second. So he's talking, hey, believers, you're like living stones. What does that mean? 
We're being built into a spiritual house, okay? And then we are a, a, a priesthood and we are offering spiritual sacrifices. So in the Old Testament, there was one or two spiritual houses where the presence of God lived in the Old Testament was different than today. In the Old Testament, there was the tabernacle and his presence reigned and resided inside that tabernacle. And then the temple in the Holy of Holies, God's presence resided there as well. Now, God's presence is and was in all places at all time. This is why when you pray and a guy in China prays, at the same time, it's not a list and God's going, okay, one, two, you know, he's getting them all at the same time because he's everywhere at the same time. But in the Old Testament, he placed himself in the tabernacle, a tent, a building, and then he placed himself in this other building, the temple, okay? So when Peter's talking about this, all these guys know this language, sacrifice, priesthood, uh, tabernacle or, or spiritual house. Now, Peter says, you and I are like living stones. We're being built into something. So the first thing I want you to see is that when you build a house or you are building a house, the house is not fully built. You're in the process of building something. And so the building is not what it's going to be down the road, but it's, it's on its way. It's being built. And one of the things I love about the Christian faith is it has one of the most generative philosophies behind it. And what I mean by that is it is the most positive in terms of the fact that you will change. You will grow. You're not gonna be the same person. We are not who we are. We are who we are becoming. And today who you are is because of the series of choices that you've made in the past and your beliefs about yourself and God. And these things make up who we are today. And the choices we make tomorrow and the beliefs that we have about ourselves and about our relationship with God will determine who we will be down the road. We are always changing. Why? Because we are being built into a spiritual house. Every once in a while uh, in counseling throughout the years, I was a counselor before I was a pastor, but every once in a while sitting down in, in, in counseling with somebody, somebody get really frustrated in the marital kind of conflict. And one of them would say, it's just who I am. This is just me. And that's never an acceptable and appropriate answer. It's not. Why? Because we don't just stop and say, this is me. We say, I'm becoming something more. See, you need to know you can change. You don't have to stay the same person. You don't have to constantly be broken down with the same old busted up philosophies and pains. You can absolutely grow into who God wants you to be because you are a living stone, not a dead stone, a living stone, and you're being built into a spiritual house. Now in the Old Testament, tabernacle temple, in the New Testament, you are the temple of the Lord. Can we just sit with the gravity of that for a second? You and I carry around with us, if you're a follower of Jesus, you carry around God himself. The creator of the universe has placed himself in your heart. And I was thinking about that. And I was thinking, so I've been, I have received sanctuary from him. In the Old Testament, one of the beautiful images of sanctuary was that if you've done something wrong and you've failed in some giant way, you could run to a sanctuary city. And in that sanctuary city, you were given mercy. And that's the very, that's the very, very uh, situation that we all find ourselves in. We've all done something wrong. And we find ourselves in the sanctuary of God. And so I started thinking about that. I'm like, I live with God with me all the time. I walk around as a container of God. So I started thinking about that. If I've received sanctuary, I wonder if people around me perceive me as a person of sanctuary. I wonder if people look at me and look at us and see that they receive mercy. 
that they receive grace, that they receive courage, that they receive encouragement, that they receive truth. I wonder if we are known as those kinds of people. And I think, honestly, I think if we really, really were honest about that, if we were really like that, it would be like lightning in the world. We would stand out in a way that doesn't just make us look like everybody else, not in some weirder Amish way. <laughs> Denim skirts are not on the option, right? But what we're talking about is we're talking about in a way that makes people feel like when they talk to you and they talk to me, we are a sanctuary for them. Because why? I'm a spiritual house, but not only am I a spiritual house, I'm a priest. How many of you grew up Catholic, Roman Catholic in some way? The Lord be with you. And, uh, and so, so, so here's, here's, the thing, here's the thing about that. You grew up, okay, and what Peter's saying right now is, is the, the Catholic Church has a very Old Testament idea, all right? And Peter is kind of uh, hitting on this, this idea. And that is, as a Catholic, you are taught that you go through the priest to God. You come to him, you confess, you do your thing, you come to him. Peter is saying, God is actually building you into a temple of the Lord. And as a temple of the Lord, you're also a priest, that doesn't mean take off, the, take off the collar, the black outfits, the whole thing. You know, like take all that off for a second. You now have direct access to God. You don't have to go through me to get to Jesus. You can pray to him any moment, anytime. And that goes for you, even if you're not religious. You can talk to the father. You come through Jesus, right? So you also believers, like living stones are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood offering spiritual sacrifices. So what does that mean that we offer spiritual sacrifices? It means all kinds of things. It means that like when you're teaching your kids about Jesus, you're offering spiritual sacrifices. When you are telling someone about Christ, you are presenting spiritual sacrifices. We are no longer required to do animal sacrifice to make our sins okay because Jesus has forgiven our sins once and for all. Now what we're doing is spiritual sacrifices of gratitude. The reason why we tell others about Christ is not because there's some rule that says, tell them about Christ. It's because we do it because we love someone. And we want everyone else to know Christ. And we want everyone else to know the joy of Christ. We want everyone else to know what I'm about to teach on in just a second again. But for some of us, this also solves a problem that we have. And that is for you, you're thinking like, I don't know if my faith is right. Listen, so, so and this is the reason why. And we'll talk about this in a second though. Some of you are just ch- checking boxes. You're checking boxes, checking boxes, checking boxes. And you're like, ah. so if I read my Bible and I pray every day, then I've got my relationship right with God. No, no, no. Pharisees in the Old Testament read their Bible every single day and prayed every single day. They were, they were far from God, okay? Now, I'm not telling you don't read your Bible. In fact, statistics show us that you guys are getting all your Bible from Sunday, and that's about it. Most of you don't pick it up for the rest of the week. And I'm telling you, like, I'm incredible. But, but, <laughs> you're laughing too hard, man, too hard, okay? All right, so, so, so this is great, and I think this is really important but it's not enough. You need to get the scriptures throughout the week, right? We need to go to God directly on that, right? Watch this, because we're offering spiritual sacrifices. And so some of you are like, I'm not doing these things, so is God displeased with me? Look, he says, when you present these spiritual sacrifices, they are acceptable to God. So whatever you bring, whether it's big or it's small, the Lord's like, you did it, you brought it. I'm all in, thank you. This, this, it is acceptable to me, why? Because it comes through Jesus. Now flip the coin for a second. The most righteous act on the outside, apart from Christ, the Bible calls it filthy rags. It says that it's not of any value to God whatsoever. So there is this, always this one thing in the Christian faith that connects us to, to, to God, and that is Jesus. 
We always go through Jesus to get to the Father. Otherwise, we can't be with the Father. And so he's describing this spiritual sacrifice that we are a temple of the Lord. He goes on here in Philippians 2, 3. It's also the reason why, because when we have received sanctuary, we become sanctuary to others. It's the reason why we're not harmful to other people. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says it like this. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. Actually, uh, what this says in some translations, and I think it's a better translation than this, not looking only to your own interests. You still have to look to your own interests. You have to take care of your families, but you don't just take care of your families. We actually consider others as of more value than ourselves, right? Not only looking to your own interests, but each other to the interests of others, okay? So we're looking at others, but here's the reason why. Because when we walk with God, we walk in humility. And so I wanna talk to the guys for a second. We've talked about this before. It's so important for you to catch it though, to move it from here to here, okay? So, so when we think about humility, most guys don't like this and they don't see it as applying to them because we think of like kindness and gentleness, which are fruits of the spirit, the Holy Spirit, right? So we've got kindness and gentleness going on. We've got humility here. We call these feminine qualities and they're not guy things. That's not true at all. These things right here are actually used to describe God. In Philippians 2, he is humble. Jesus was humble. He humbled himself, right? So humility, the biblical definition of humility is power restrained, power that's being held back. I think this is of such great importance. And this is not just a guy thing, ladies, as well. You can be this way as well. But I think in our culture right now, humility as Christians is so important. You know why? Because you're being taught everywhere else that the goal of the Christian life right now is to be against and to constantly be slapping down. And that is not in the Bible. That's on your news networks. That's on your blogs. That's on your you know, podcasts, but it's not in the Bible. Our job is to be humble, right? Which means power restrained. So guys, here's what I want you to see. Humility it needs, so, so just, and, and here's why it's so important. Humility, power restrained. In order to have humility, you have to first be powerful. If you don't have a mastery of yourself, if you don't have the ability to act in the world with agency, if you're not that person, then what looks like humility is just weakness. So you have to have power first, and then you have to pull that power back. It doesn't take any strength whatsoever to swing at somebody else who disagrees with you. And I mean physically swing at that person or get on an internet, like get on, the, get on Twitter and slam on someone on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok and jump on those things and just start tearing people apart. There's nothing brave about that. You know what is something brave? When you listen to someone else and they disagree, you disagree with them, but instead of just pushing or swinging at that person, what you do instead is you hold back, you resist. Why? Because our purposes are not this. Our purposes are this. Our purposes are not the world, they are the kingdom of God. The book of Hebrews says we are just traveling through this world to get to the Lord. This is not home. And some of us plant the flag so firmly here in this world that when something goes wrong with our world, we start swinging. But when you do this, you're walking outside of the ways of God. But now we're looking to our own interests and not to the interests of others. He goes on, I think it's just so important. He says in verse six, for in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone. And the one who trusts in him will, be never, will never be put to shame. Watch this. For in scripture, it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion. So this is, this is Peter talking right here. He's quoting 
we'll look at the verse in a minute that he's quoting from, a chosen and precious cornerstone. So we already know the stone is Jesus. He was chosen by the Father and he's precious to the Father. Father loves him deeply. But he calls him a cornerstone. That means nothing to us. Here's what it meant to a first century Jew. Um, so if you were to think of a square, I think many of us think of a cornerstone as just the corner of one of the stones that, that something's built on. The cornerstone is the foundational stone, right? And in Jerusalem, uh, when the waters come, it's hard clay there. When the waters come, everything becomes super soft. So if you built your house or your building or whatever your business or whatever it is on something other than a deep stone, then what's going to happen is that it's all gonna wash away and it'll all be destroyed very quickly. So a cornerstone would be very, very important for you to build the edifice that you're about to build. So whatever, the, whatever building you're gonna build, small, medium, or large, you're gonna choose a small, medium, or large cornerstone. And a lot of time and detail is gonna go into making this stone. Why? Because it needs to be strong so that everything you put on top of it is able to bear the weight of what you put on top of it. And so Peter picks up this building language and he says, listen, Jesus was chosen by the Father. He is precious to the Father. He is a stone upon which you can stand. And when the weather changes around you, you'll still be standing strong. He's a foundation for your life. And so many of us have all kinds of different cornerstones in our life. My father, as many of you know, I grew up in an abusive kind of violent family. And my father uh, was, not a great, was not a great guy. I had a great moment with him one time at the church that I was preaching at before this, 22, 23 years ago. <laughs> um, he was there and I was talking to about a thousand people in the room and he was sitting up in the front row right here. And uh, I just kind of watched him through the message and I was walking back and forth on the stage as I do. And I was talking to the folks and at the end of the message, I come down and I see him just streaming tears. And uh, I said, what's, what's going on? And he said, he said, Michael, I now know why God put me in the world for you to do this. Now, he wasn't a Christian at all. And my father's challenge in life was that he always vacillated between pride and shame, pride and shame. And some of you do exactly the same thing. You go back and forth between pride and shame. The way that he did it, we lived in 20 different homes in the first 20 uh, we lived in 18 different homes in the first 20 years of my life. And, and the reason was because when he was killing it and building a life apart from God that looked visibly successful, money and all these other things, he was happy and he was fine. He seemed everything was good. And then something would happen and things would fall apart or unravel in a way that he didn't expect. And then he'd be back in shame again. And he'd go back and forth like this over and over and over again throughout his life. And some of us know people like this. Some of us are people like this. We have all kinds of reasons why everywhere else is the reason why that's happening. But the reality is wherever you go, you're taking you with you. So if you're an up and down person like this all the time, the reason for that is because the foundation that you're standing upon is constantly shifting. And so you're going to have, camera's trying to follow me right now. Just going, going, if, if, you're, if you're going like this and like this, all over, you're going to ultimately be an unsteady person your whole life because you don't have a foundation. It's always shifting. It's money, it's my sexuality, it's my job, it's my family, it's whatever. And all of these things constantly change. But the word of the Lord never changes. But Jesus is always a constant in your life. And you can trust him. Watch this. He, is a cho he was chosen by God the Father. He is precious to the Father. He is the foundational stone of our life, Jesus. 
and the one who trusts in him as we trust in him, we will never, ever be put to shame. I wish my father had known that. I wish that he had understood that because I think he died with shame. And I think Peter's writing to this to us so that we will know we don't have to live and we don't have to end in shame. The other implication of this is a heavenly implication. One day, all of us will stand before the God, before God the Father in judgment. And when we come in and through Christ, we don't have to be ashamed because everything has been covered through him. And because of that, now you can walk confidently. Like when you screw up, you go, mess up, screw that up, get back up, start over because you're good. You don't have to castigate yourself, scream at yourself, yell at yourself, tear yourself apart. All of that is wasted energy. You, as a follower of Jesus, you have once and for all been saved, rescued, healed. You have sanctuary. Isaiah 28, this is 750 years before 1 Peter is written, the text we're looking at right now. Peter is quoting from this text in the Old Testament. It's very similar. Look at what it says, verse 16. So this is what the sovereign Lord says. See, I lay a stone in Zion, a tested stone. Jesus wasn't just tested with his, you know, temptation in the desert. He was tested every single day, just like we are. As the book of Hebrews tells us, it was, he was tempted in every way that we are, yet without sin. He was tested and he was found to be worthy. A precious cornerstone. Look at what it says next, a sure foundation. What kind of foundation do we have? Well, that's something that you and I need to consider for ourselves. Where do we place our foundation? Is it on Jesus or is it on something else? Because the one who relies on Jesus will never be stricken with panic. We'll never be concerned. We'll never be overwhelmed in that way. We'll never be dismayed. Verse seven says it like this. Now, and it shifts to, to us. Now to you who believe this stone in Jesus, to you who believe in Jesus, the stone is precious. Jesus is precious. Let's pause here for a second. Um, so I was talking to this guy not too long ago, a uh, guy that I know, and uh, we were talking about his mom. He says, Pastor Mike, I don't know what to do with my mom. And I said, well, join the club. club. And uh, he said, he said, he said I, she's, everywhere we go, she's just kind of judgmental. And she's judgmental with all these little comments, so-and-so is such a person, or, or, you know, I'm so much better in this way, or, you know, and she's like, you know, she, he's just like, she's so, it seems like she's always performing. And I said, that's exactly what's happening right there in the situation. So some of you are doing, the ch- doing what his mom's doing, like you're checking boxes, right? And what I'm about to say is that you're in a trap. Okay, it's a cycle, and I'll show you what it looks like. Because for him, he's frustrated at her, right? Because she is constantly judgmental and constantly negative. But what, and I think for some of us, we look at people like that and we go, easily just write them off. You're like, Jer- they're just being jerks. And maybe they are, maybe they are. But I think it's a little more complicated than that. Because here's what I think is going on behind the situation, right? So here you've got this person, they've got this mom, and she's doing all this stuff. But, but what's really happening with her is in her life, She's connecting with God by checking boxes. I read my Bible today. Uh, and you guys should read your Bible. You should do it more. But, but watch this. She was checking. I read my Bible. I prayed this prayer today. I did my devotion. I was nice to somebody. And then I prayed my prayers before I went to bed. And she's got this list like the Pharisees did in the Old Testament. She's doing the list, but she has no real connection to the God, to God, to Jesus, because she doesn't think he's precious at all. She's performing for him. 
And if you're a person who struggles with that and you're performing for God, here's one of the other things that happens as a result of performing for God. Not only do you look at yourself and constantly walk in shame because you're never living up to the standard, walking around going, oh my God, why am I not doing this better? I'm, further, I'm too far behind. Why am I not, why not further along? I should be further along at this point in my life. But also at the same time, not only are you looking at yourself, writing these checks, but you're also looking at everyone else doing the same thing. And you don't even know it. You're looking at everyone else. Did they check the box? 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 Who's, you know what? She's not checking the box. So when you start comparing, you're looking at all the people who are not checking the boxes. So now you're this not just person who's self-condemning, you're condemning of everyone else. Most people who are judgmental and condemning of everyone else, it's because they're screaming at themselves on the inside. And you need to see a person like that as a person who needs to be pitied, not a person who needs to be written off. And so now to you who believe this stone, Jesus is precious. When you have an encounter with Jesus, when you really become a follower of Jesus, he's not like Abraham Lincoln to you. He's precious. (laughs) We think about him. We love him. We are engaged with him. We pray. Ladies, think about it like this. If your husband came to you one day and he said, um, you asked him the question, why are you faithful to me? And he said, well, because there's a rule that says I should be. How successful is that to you? You feel like that's a winning strategy? (laughs) Guys, don't do that, okay? All right, that's not a winning strategy. Why? Because intuitively, you know that a rule really doesn't maintain a relationship. Love maintains a relationship. And that's why Jesus is precious to us because we love him. Because he's our brother. He's our savior. He's our friend. But to those who do not believe, now the camera angle switches from us to those who are not Christians. And so this is for you if you're not, you know, you're like, I don't know what I believe about Jesus. Well, let's talk about it. But to those who do not believe, the stone, Jesus, the builders rejected, that is the Pharisees and the law, has become the cornerstone, verse eight. A stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they disobey the message, which is also what they were destined for. Let's go back to verse seven. All right. So now to you who believe, but to those who do not believe, the stone the builders rejected. So when Jesus came, not only this, and this has always been the issue with Jesus. Jesus is a very bipolar character. And what I mean by that is either you love him and he's precious or you reject him and he's nothing. There's very few people that are just in the middle like, yeah, you know, I'll take a little bit of this and that, right? But most people are that way. Verse eight, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. So we've been talking about rock this whole time as a construction element that builds and creates, but sometimes rocks can also destroy. We can see this in, in, in the story of, of David and Goliath. When he takes that rock, he destroys Goliath, right? So in the same way, Peter picks up that idea of a rock that it has both positive benefits, but also negative benefits. And he says the same thing about Jesus. There are some negative benefits, if you will, to drawbacks to Jesus. And that is this, that there are some who will stumble over him and some who will fall over him. And it's very clear why, because they disobey the message of the gospel, which is also what they were destined for. So when you read this, you think, well, God just had taken some people in this category and some people in this category said, you're destined for this, you're destined for this. That's not what he's saying at all. Look, why are they destined for this? Because they disobey the message, right? They disobey the gospel. And here's the thing. Like, if you're not Christian, you might be thinking, well, the reason why I'm not all on board with this is because I don't know everything. None of us know everything. That's not a thing. I mean, I don't even know how an airplane works. And I'm sure, yeah, I'll get on this metal tube flying through the air, right? That's just, we have a lot of faith all the time. You don't need to know everything. 
But, but here's, here's just one thing that you need to know. Jesus died for you because he loves you. He laid his life down for you because he loves you. No greater love has a person than a man lays life down for another, right? And so he died for you and he did that because he loves you because you have a problem that you can't solve and that is your moral imperfection. And that's not me pointing my finger at you, brother or sister. That's because I'm a moral failure as well. None of us has done that right. Not one. All have sinned. All have fallen short of the glory of God. At the end of the day, we look at that and we go, well, how do I solve that problem? And there's only two ways. One, you can get to heaven, you can take this giant risk. I just think God will love me. I think, it'll be, I think he's gonna think I'm awesome. But what happens, what happens if there's a big line, right? And in front of you is Billy Graham, right? right? And behind you is Mother Teresa. And there you are, hosed right? You see what I'm saying? Like, that's not a good strategy. Our strategy, <laughs> I was only in the service. It just came to me. It just was a little, right? So, 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 <laughs> so coming with a strategy that says, I hope it'll all be okay, is actually not a strategy. He's told you the way, and it's through Jesus. And our hope is that you'll fall madly in love with him and find him to be precious and beautiful and amazing and build your life on that rock. And here's how this whole thing ends. Verse nine, going back to, to believers again, but you are a chosen people. Maybe one of the reasons why you have not chosen him is because you go, there's no way he would love me. Or maybe for you right now as a Christian, you're thinking, I don't feel like I can be a part of any group ever that I'm a part of, that, I, that, that, that I'm around. I feel disconnected from people. You have to realize you've already been chosen. You are a chosen person. God chose you. He loves you. And so when those things hit you in your life, you know, those voices and those things that are like, you know, you're worthless, you're not worthwhile, you're of no value, remind him. Remind, remind yourself that you are a chosen person. God loves you. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. This idea as a holy nation was really, in first century, was pretty revolutionary because in the Old Testament, the holy nation that God was involved with was Israel. That was it. Everyone else kind of on their own. But God, like a spotlight, watched Israel through the course of history, right? As he did this. Now, Peter is telling us that not only are the Gentiles and the Jews and the God-fearing people, they're all able now to come to Christ. We are a holy spiritual nation. Guys, this is the reason why I don't do politics in the church. Because I don't care if you're Democrats and I don't care if you're Republicans. What I care about is that you are a chosen person by the Lord, that you see yourself as a priest carrying around very presence of the Lord, that you're a holy nation, that we are bound together by something bigger and deeper than our political divides. We are bound together by Jesus himself. And right now, some of you are pushing back on that and you're going, yeah, but what about those Democrats? What about those Republicans? Like, I've had people have that conversation. It's a dead end. It is a dead end. Our mission is to see people know and love Jesus, period. The book of Hebrews tells us that we're just passing through. We're just passing through this life. It's not home. Don't plant your flag here. This is not all there is. You're chosen. You're a royal priesthood. You're a holy nation. And watch this. You are God's special possession. He loves you, each and every one of you. And every time you hear someone say something to the contrary, take that thought captive, replace it with scripture, and make it obedient in your heart. You are the person God tells you you are, 
not the person the world tells you you are. Amen? Father, thank you for sending Jesus into the world. First, for your sacrifice, because he's precious for you, to you. And Father, even though he was rejected by us, by every one of us, we now consider him precious because he's given us mercy. He's given us grace. We found sanctuary with him. Father, let us now become the kind of people who can give sanctuary that way away to everyone else. We want people to walk away from encounters with us, Lord, seeing more of you, not more of us. Seeing your grace and your mercy and your peace and your strength to the glory of your son. Amen.